Welcome to the Biz Bash podcast, where we make biz strategy a piece of cake. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Cammie, but you might know us better as Eliza and Calligraphy and Cammie Monet. We want to help you, our fellow stationers, artists, and calligraphers, confidently build a profitable and personality-driven creative biz. We're here to share our honest-to-goodness advice and actionable strategies for ambitious artists. So put on your party hat, quit being a procrastinator gator, and let's get this party started. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Biz Bash podcast. This is Q and Cake number seven. We love the Q and Cake episodes because it's just a time for us to read the questions you guys have submitted and answer them as best as we can. It also just feels like a fun like quiz day. Like I feel I get so amped up for these. I'm like, gotta get them right, gotta get them right. So we're going for five for five here. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and read the first question we have from Lene B. And she asked, I was wondering if you have experience in giving one-on-one calligraphy lessons slash tutorship. What would you charge per hour? And would you have any tips in this regard? I can go ahead and start with just what I've done for calligraphy one-on-one lessons, which I think I've done like a whopping one of them. So wow. <laughs> I've done zero. So <laughs> round of applause over here. Um, <laughs> no, I don't like obviously don't advertise anything like that. But I had someone reach out to me who was really interested in coming to a workshop, but I just don't think any of the dates worked for her. So that's when she asked, she was like, well, do you ever do anything one-on-one? And I said, "Um, I mean, I can make an exception. We can figure it out. Um, And I ended up charging her the same amount I charge a workshop ticket. And here's why, because workshops, I do like two and a half hours long. It's instruction. I go around obviously talk to all the students individually, but there's also like wine or drinks, other drinks and snacks, and I have to pay for the venue. And there's like a lot of overhead that comes with hosting a workshop for a bunch of people. Um, So instead, I was like, I'll still charge you the 150 because we're going to like meet at Starbucks and we're not going to meet for two and a half hours. We're going to meet for like 90 minutes, right? (laughs) So in my head, I was like, that to me feels like balanced out enough that I feel like it's justify justifiable and like fair to charge that same rate. And she got everything like within the calligraphy kit that I would give to students at a workshop. So she got the same materials. Yeah. Well, I have not done a one-on-one lesson. I don't advertise that or particularly want to really, because I just don't really have time. But if I did do one, I'd probably charge like 150 175 an hour and I think I would that would equal out more than what I would charge for a workshop ticket but in my mind I'm reasoning that I'm making more money per hour at a workshop with more people so it should be a little bit of a higher rate I just like completely you know doing it different than what you just said but yours way your way makes sense too but so I think I would do like 150 175 an hour I don't know but mm-hmm. so I would probably need like two hours of their time to do something with watercolor I don't know but anyway I've never done that anytime I've done a one-on-one thing I've just done it for free with you know little kids and um, my friends kids that I love so (laughs) I haven't done anything serious like that but anyway hopefully that's helpful I know we're not 
experts in that by any means, but <laughs> right. Because the other thing to consider too is like if this person actually wants to be tutored, I kind of think of that as a long term thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's like okay, there's a little more more upfront to cover the cost of your materials, and then if they're coming back on a weekly basis, maybe it's like a lower rate, right? Like seventy five dollars yeah. for an hour or something. You know, maybe the lessons are shorter just to like touch base. Um, but I know that my piano teacher growing up and like my my mom had like a lot of friends who did piano lessons too like they were probably charging they were charging at least $50 an hour for like piano lessons and there wasn't any sort of like ongoing like materials for that right necessarily um so definitely make sure like you value your time correctly um and then yeah decide what you're comfortable with if you want to charge them $25 an hour, you can, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would also make sure to just add on the cost of materials to whatever you decide to charge per hour. Um, yeah. Or make them bring their own. So, yeah. Okay. That's covered that one. That's good to go. Next question. Perfect. <laughs> Next question. Have either of you ever tried using a pre-order system? As a small business, having a bunch of stocked items not is not really spatially or financially viable, especially if I don't know whether the item will sell or not. So I'm considering offering my items on a pre-sale basis, but I was wondering if you know of any pros, pros and cons to this model. And this question is from Alyssa W. Okay, well, I will start off on this one. I have totally used a pre-order system. I think it's a genius way to get started, especially if you're putting in um, a lot of investment up front with the product. Um, so specifically, one of the things I did with the pre-order was when I first printed the watercolor booklets because um, they are a higher cost. And I just I didn't want to buy a ton of them and spend all this money if I didn't think they were going to sell. So I did those as a pre-order and was able to recoup the cost of ordering them before I even you know, I already had a profit before I even ordered them. So that was awesome. And then everything after that was just pure profit. And I don't, haven't done the pre-order, pre-order with them because I know they're going to sell. So anything that I'm not sure of and I don't know how much to order or what kind of stock I need, I'll just do it as a pre-order. I mean, a lot of things I do, you wouldn't even know it's a pre-order. I just already have them on the website. And if you order them, I'll go order it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> But yeah, it, it works really well, especially around Christmas time when I'm not sure like which design is going to sell the best. I kind of give it a week and see which ones I'm going to need to order more of and which ones might be a flop. So far, they've all done pretty good, but there's always a few that just rise to the top. And I'm like, okay, I need to order more of those. So it's all kind of a pre-order in my head. Like I don't just order the same amount of every um, product in my business. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, I was going to ask too, though. So like, say this never would have happened because your watercolor booklet is awesome. But like, say that you put it up for pre-order and like two people bought it. What would you have decided to do? Or did you have like a threshold in your mind of how many you wanted to sell before, you know, making it like a permanent part of your business? Oh, like the watercolor booklet, there was, you know, a higher minimum that I wanted to hit so I could be profitable at like, you know, because the higher more you order, the cheaper they are per, but you're also it's more money. Um, So I if I had only sold two, I still had some, they just weren't like printed with this other company. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. So I already had them. So I probably just would have like, sold the ones that I use, but not gone through a booklet printing company to do like a huge mass order. But things like prints and mugs and stuff, like those are obviously a lower threshold to order anyway, versus, you know, a hundred booklets that are expensive. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So if I only sell one, then 
I order like five and hopefully sell the others <laughs> just to make it worth the cost of shipping. <laughs> um, do you think like any like artists have ever done something where they're like, I have to hit like they publicly announce I have to hit X amount of like pre-orders for me to actually send this. Do you yeah. think that's like even a thing? I don't know. I feel like I've seen this happen before. It's almost like having your own version of a Kickstarter, you know? But then I think you'd have to keep up with what happens if you don't hit the thing and people have already paid, like hit the minimum, like say, oh, I need to have 50 people order this. Then like, right, you'd have to refund them. You'd have to refund <laughs> them if you're doing it, if you're announcing it that way and, and positioning it like that. So I wouldn't do that just because I think that's going to be, you know, more difficult to keep up with. But yeah, I totally do pre-orders on like, and I don't even call them. I'm like, this is a pre-order. I think I did with the watercolor booklet just so they had I the idea that it wasn't going to ship for like another two weeks, you know, and to kind of gauge interest on should I order a hundred? Should I order a thousand? Like kind of thing. Right. Um. So that, that worked out well. But I, yeah, I think the pre-order system is great. I mean, even with like, if you're doing stuff with like courses and digital downloads, I mean, you can go ahead and already have like pre-orders ready for that without having like everything finished you know just like enrolling in a course and i guarantee you sometimes when you enroll in a course the course isn't even completely done yet so uh yeah out there. <laughs> that's probably true and i mean like that's what we're doing with station or summit essentially like early registration you get to save money but like the content's not live until september 16th so right. that's, like basically the same strategy you know mm-hmm. totally but yeah, but, but not anyway, we're like, but for different reasons, not because we're like gauging interest, but because no, that's a totally different reason to like save money. Yeah, that's a different reason than a product kind of thing where you're like, I really don't know how many to order and how to sell. And then as you grow in your business, you start picking up patterns and knowing what's going to sell and how many to order and you just kind of get a better hang of things. But when you're starting out, you're like, I literally have no idea how many to order. Just go mm-hmm. ahead and sell a few, give it a week. I know a lot of artists who run their business like that. So totally fine. Yeah, I kind of wanted to like ask you about this a little bit at some point because I'm slowly but surely, but like very slowly working on these like letterpress maps, you know? Yeah. That's been something on like my to-do list for forever. And so letterpress is like not a, you know, cheap like production by any means because you're getting your plate and like then per piece, it's pretty expensive. So I was like, do I just like straight up order like 50 of each map? And then, you know, once they have the plates, like you don't have to pay for that again. Right. But I'm like really nervous, especially starting a new collection. Like my hands are like literally getting sweaty right now because like my confidence <laughs> with products is just so much lower than confident, like confidence with services. And like, that's definitely a genuine fear of mine is like, what if I stock like 50 of each of this map and I'm probably planning on doing like five or six in the collection to start and then they just like sit there you know (laughs) no that's a lot I think I would I think I would do some kind of pre-order with this I mean even if it's just like you know if you don't call it a pre-order just be like these will ship after this date like kind of thing um you know just to like test it I mean it, it really is a smart way to test the waters before you just go all in and like you know make sure because some map, what if one of your maps is super popular and one of them like doesn't sell at all? So <laughs> yeah, that's like the that's totally the thing is I'm trying to kind of figure out and like I'm starting with really big cities first, you know, yeah, um, like 
the city specifically like I live in or have lived in and love and like obviously we'll do New York and like probably San Francisco because like really big touristy ones but I also know people have a ton of success too with like the smaller towns um Mm -hmm, totally Knoxville and Louisville and um you know I've considered doing like a Marietta one but I'm actually really glad Alyssa asked this question because now it's kind of like making me think of some of these things that I should like maybe consider. I know with your OCD brain, you're going to want to order the same amount of each one, but it probably would be best not to. Because like for me, like, you know, all the different cities I have, um, some of them do amazing and some of them I sell like one one a year and I don't I'm like okay I live in Orlando I don't understand why the Orlando one ever I like no one cares about Orlando no one ever buys that one right. I thought it was going to be a hit so I printed off a ton of those and maybe, maybe people don't like it maybe it's ugly I don't know but anyway I have a ton of Orlando prints because I thought that would be like a higher seller for me and it's like one of the lowest selling ones in my city collection which is fascinating to me <laughs> so oh um, you just never yeah, know which really- ones are going to take off you know because like in your head you're probably like okay Atlanta's gonna do really good but maybe it totally isn't I mean I'm gonna have I have confidence in your stuff I'm just saying like you know you just never know I know I really like how the Atlanta one is starting out or like I'm pretty much done with that one um but I've been like working on the Seattle one and I was like I'm like a little stumped on that one right now like (laughs) have you considered also yeah, go ahead. Um, sorry, I interrupted you again. I was going to say, have you considered doing flat printing to test the waters first before you invest in letterpress? I know the, the whole thing is like that they're letterpress and that makes it more special, but like that's special to us, but maybe not necessarily to the people buying your prints. Yeah, that's true. I haven't considered that um, mainly because like I'm literally designing them to be letter pressed. So like I know, if I was going to do flat printing, you know, I would like add watercolor or something. And, no, like, I still think they're cool, like black and white, though. Yeah, it would still it would still look good. And then you could um, do a second release and be like now available in letterpress and make it like this huge deal. Yeah, but then the people who've already bought the other one, maybe they'll want to like, buy a letterpress one, too, because I probably would. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I have this one, but she's. Yeah, I feel like they'd be, they'd feel slighted, like, oh, no. what the heck? Like, I bought it. Yeah, that's something I could definitely think about. Um, but in my mind, like, it's I always, know. always been letterpress. So I know, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just a thought there, just a thought. <laughs> Sorry, this like turned into a brainstorming session for Elizabeth. We tend to like do this occasionally. <laughs> um, yeah. I I feel like it was what we were talking about too, like in w- the episode about imposter syndrome, where you're like going through the creative process and you're like, this is hard. Like it's actually <laughs> hard for me hard. to do this. And yeah. I feel this way, like with this map collection of like, it's all here in my head, but like really getting it out and making it look the way I want to, like it's hard. It is, it is <laughs> super hard. It's not like you just sit down and it's like super easy. Like it is a struggle. It is like, like I yeah, said. And I think- I think, too, there's, like, that weird, like, artist guilt of, like, should I be spending my time on this or other things in my business? Does that make sense? Because I'm, like, Mm. oh, I'm, like, doodling on my iPad. Like, I don't even take myself seriously. (laughs) Yeah, I totally get that. I really There's, like, things where I'm, like, I just want to paint for myself today. I'm, like, you can't do that. You have to be a slave driver to yourself and do the things you need to do. (laughs) I'm like, but I want to. And I'm, I'm, I'm a good boss. I'm a good and bad boss because I make myself stay on task. But at the same time, like, maybe I should let myself go off task because you're right. Like, maybe you do need to just like take yourself seriously and be like, no, this is good for me too. 
yeah, to like do something you're really passionate about. Yeah. Look at us guys. Yeah. Now we're like all like, oh completely my different. Gosh. Like, brain. <laughs> I know. Brain like, um, but Cami, I think we probably wrapped that one up pretty well. Um, yeah. Probably did extra than we needed to. So <laughs> do you want to read the next one? Yes. This question is from Natasha. And she said, what do you do when you've worked with a bride in the past in their invitation suite? And they come back to you further down the line asking for um, day of details. You'd love to help them, but they've only given you three weeks notice and you just can't squeeze them in. Then they email you and ask for high-res artwork files of their venue illustration and map illustrations so that they can go somewhere else to get them printed. I'm hesitant to, to send these. Am I being mean and spoiling someone's wedding day if I don't? This is literally so hard. Like, I feel like I can feel like Natasha's, like, pain as she's, like, writing this question. I right? know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so in terms of being able to, like, talk to your couples about deadlines and timing for things. Um, I feel like, first of all, let me just put this out there. Like, if you say no, I don't think you should feel like you're being mean or spoiling someone's wedding day. Because at the end of the day, like, they're not going to remember this. They're going to go somewhere else. They're going to problem solve, get something else done. And the programs are going to probably be, like, the last thing on their mind on the actual wedding day. Like, in the moment, they might be annoyed. Um, but going back to kind of like what I started saying is there maybe needs to be some type of discussion with your couples during the invitation suite design phase to say, hey, if you do want to use me for day of items, we need to like book these and get started by X day. Otherwise, I might not be available. Um, that's like going forward. But Cami, do you have any like advice for like in this specific moment, how to handle it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love what you said about just like setting up that expectation and be like, hey, if you want to move forward on day of details, here's the timeline and here's what it'll what to expect, blah, blah, blah. Like that can be part of your offboarding process for um, the invitation and a way to upsell your services. But mm -hmm. what I do is when um, clients want artwork files um, that I've done for their invitations is that I simply just charge them an extended licensing fee for it. So I actually love doing this because then I don't have to design anything. I can just send it off and not worry about it. So um, I just give them the digital files at their $75 each for the extended license to use or $150 for unlimited um, license to print wherever they want. And so I just prepare the file and send it over give them an invoice and be like, yeah, $75. And, you know, I think 99% of my brides end up purchasing, you know, the digital file of their crest or their map or whatever, because they want to use it on other things. Um, so I, that's exactly what I would do is I would just be like, sure, no problem. It's $75 because it doesn't take you any time to um, prepare the digital file as much as it does to design something, you know, I can totally get that. And it kind of sucks because you have to like let go of control a little bit and know that the inequality of them printing it might not look as good as what you would have done. So I just have to like let go and be like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> like, um, you know, that the artwork still looks good, but yeah, just sell them an extended license file for the artwork. Yeah. And I think like part of like the underlying tension of this question, and I don't want to read into it too much, but like Natasha, when you write, they then email you to ask for your high res artwork files at the venue illustration and map that you did so they can go somewhere else. Like I'm, I'm feeling from this question. Wow. This sounds like, so like woo woo. I feel from this question <laughs> that like that they almost were asking for them for free. Do you think Cammy? Like, uh, sure well, I mean, any client who's like, Hey, can I get that? They don't, 
First of all, it's already in my contract, but I guarantee you they skipped over the part about extended license thing and just be like, yeah, you know, so it's it's totally fine. There, a lot of times we we read into what the client is emailing us, even though it's like they're just being like, "Can I get this?" and they have no idea, and we're like, "How dare they?" But really, right, it's so like, that's what that's why I like feel like Natasha was like, "Am I being mean and spoiling it by saying no?" When in reality, you should say, "Thanks so much for asking that." here's the pricing for the files. And yeah. then you respond with that. Because in this instance, I think like the tension was between like a yes or no question of like, no, you can't have them as opposed to saying like, oh, yes, you can. But there is a price that comes with it, like educating that person a little bit. Like you can't just like run away with the files and have them for whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I also have a contract that they sign when they get that. It says like, here's what you can and cannot do. Like you can't change the colors on this. You can't like take your crest and then take out your monogram and then have two things. Like if you want the monogram inside your crest and you have to pay for two files, like all these things lined up and that also, maybe she feels a little salty because they're taking them somewhere else to get them printed. And she was like, um, Oh wait, no, she said she just can't squeeze them in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I <laughs> Sometimes no, I can be salty about them. Like, well, I can do that. Why don't you just do it with me? You know? <laughs> but, I think, yeah. I think it's more of like what you were mentioning about the control aspect. And yeah. I think we get really hung up on that is artists of like, Oh, but I do want control of my artwork. I do want this. I do want that. And then, but then you have to use like the left side of your brain, the analytical side that goes, but what if I made some money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like money can help like, fix things a little bit. Cause if you feel like the value of what you're providing with those, those files is like covered and compensated financially, then like you won't feel as bad about, you know, if somebody potentially like designs a horrible program for them or whatever, like at least you were compensated for your art. And you didn't have to put any time into designing it, which is something that's very valuable to me now. I'm like, that's great. They can take it and I don't have to design day of items because that takes just as much time, you know? So I like getting, getting paid and not having a ton of time. So Anyway. Yeah, and there are like stationers' entire businesses. Some of them rely on like hiring out other artists, anyways, because like not every stationer is an artist. Yeah. So. Oh, I I finally worked with another stationer on that. <laughs> I did that you Castle did? Hill Inn was a venue illustration. I just did the venue illustration, and she took the file and designed the suite. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I know, right? How yes. cool is that? I loved it. I was like, I want to do this more. So hopefully, I can get some more jobs doing that because I actually really really like just doing the artwork for it and I'm going to stress out about printing it and sending proofs. Yeah. And all of those different things. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's um, why I'm looking forward to Simply Jessica Marie's session in the Stationer Summit all about licensing your artwork with other stationers because that's exactly what she's doing now. And it's so smart. <laughs> I know. It's so cool because then she really gets to like focus on being the artist instead of doing the other like in between dramatic things that like clients need or might say or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if she identifies as an artist or an entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm going to ask her. <laughs> she, I feel like she'd be right in the middle. Yeah. You I should know. I can't her. decide. I can't, I really can't decide. So <laughs> I think of her as an artist. I well, think I think of her, her as both. I she's mean, she's definitely both. both. Yeah. Definitely both. <laughs> what did she Jessica. personally? What does she personally feel? Because now she wants to do more of the art side. I know that's like where her heart truly lies is like doing the artwork. So yeah, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Giving herself room to do that. It's yes, very smart. She's a very smart businesswoman. Serious businesswoman. She is a serious <laughs> businesswoman. I know. I'm like God. That sounds like it sounds like so much freedom. Like I'm getting all excited. I'm like maybe I should just do that. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, 
All right. So next question. Do we feel like we wrapped that up yes. pretty well? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, who's reading this one? You Did are. I read the last one? You're oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, this is from Jen T. And she says, how much and what sweets and envelopes? Okay. Let me rephrase this a little bit. What sweets and envelopes do you print at home and how much do you end up outsourcing to other printers such as gold foil, letterpress, etc.? Thanks. And I love your podcast and Insta stories. Woot, woot. Woot, woot. Um, <laughs> but part of her question too, at the beginning, she asked like how much. So I wonder like for her, if, if like quantity, right? Like if it was under 50, would you maybe try to do it at home? Like, so oh, that's, thinking, like that's kind of part of it too. I was thinking like percentage wise, like what percentage of things are printed at home versus outsourced? Oh, actually, yeah. I think you interpreted that correctly and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, I think 90% of what I print is outsourced, you know, because the other mm-hmm. 10% would just be envelopes. <laughs> that's the yep. only thing I print at home. Uh, that's the only thing I print at home too is envelopes, um, especially because like with gold foil and letterpress, I mean, neither of us have the means to do that anyways. Um, I could see, Cami, now that you have a white ink printer, like if a bride wanted um, like a color paper with yeah. white ink, you could print that at home. Yeah, I could do that. Or like vellum with white ink, I could do that at home now. I think I'd print like a, I would print like a vellum overlay at home. Yeah. You figure know. out how to do that for yeah sure. but not the actual suite itself because a lot of times I'm like I don't feel it I don't want to do any color matching and then like the paper the type that I would want to use is probably not even going to work in the printers I want anyway because it's like pretty thick yeah. so yeah pretty much need to outsource all that but like little details yeah like the vellum the envelopes maybe like a co- like a colored piece of paper yeah that would be that would be cool I could do those at home Mm-hmm. Yeah, easily. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know for me, like when I first started, I got the Epson Artisan 1430 because who didn't? Everyone had that printer, right? Who didn't? Like, literally, we needed to make like shirts with that printer on it. Um, <laughs> Victoria of Design House Amora was the one that used it and like told everyone about it. So then I think like everyone got it. <laughs> um, and I remember using that one to like print a save the date for a client. Um, and I want to say there were probably like, 80 of them like 75 or 80 mm-hmm. and after doing that at home I was like never again in my life like this is too much like too consuming for my time and my business model like I will outsource this so I learned pretty quickly like just the value of letting someone else do it oh my especially gosh, yeah. when they're running a business that's like meant to do that anyways yeah I remember trying to just print greeting cards on my Epson Artisan 1430 and the colors were all (laughs) horrible and I was like what in the heck because I at that point I did not understand like that you have to change colors and troubleshoot printing methods I was just like it's here right I paid for it why isn't it working (laughs) yeah (laughs) so frustrated and uh, I did print um, a handmade paper suite on that one time and that was probably the worst time of my life so I will never ever do that again and there are printers who will now print on handmade paper with digital printing so literally yeah. no reason to ever print at home unless you just want to torture yourself but that's my right thought. and all of that stuff gets built into your pricing model too because like don't charge face value for when you're outsourcing printing you know yeah like <laughs> that's not how it should work <laughs> everyone thinks that it's going to be so much cheaper to print at home but you the cost you might save and i say might very loosely because it's probably like three cents because you're wasting so much paper and ink trying to get the right colors and then the time it takes to do it is completely not worth it like 
mm-hmm. not worth it and at all. Not so, to mention cutting the paper straight. Oh don't even get me started. That was like my biggest problem with the save the dates. And I was like, I can't freaking cut these straight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can picture it perfectly. Yeah. So only envelopes. That's it. <laughs> yep. Only envelopes. All right. Um, our last question. Take um, it away. Um, excuse me. Hold on. We have to tell her where we get our outsource printing from. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sorry. I'm totally jumping the gun. (laughs) Okay. So if you, okay. So Jen, if you aren't a member of our A to Z directory yet, well, then you totally should be because we have um, all of our favorite vendors and printers on there to do gold foil, letterpress, vellum printing, white ink, you know, the whole shebang, ribbons, postage, uh, mugs, t-shirts, zipper pouches <laughs> literally everything from a to z is in there and we have a private facebook group where um we all can troubleshoot printing problems finding the right place to get things done and yeah just have a good community so if you want to join that it is just bizbirthdaybash.com slash directory perfect thank you yeah, yeah. i knew i was forgetting something <laughs> <laughs> totally fine <clears throat> am i reading this one yep this is oh, okay. for you. <laughs> this question is from Corey s this question says, if you had to choose to focus on one social media platform, which would you choose? Particularly if you feel like you missed the Instagram boat and are struggling to get followers and visibility on the platform. Is Pinterest where it's at for a visually centered, visually centered industry like stationary? And that's from Corey S. Oh, did you already say that? I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm listening. I promise. <laughs> well, tell us what your social media platform would be oh my gosh okay this is a hard one so first of all let me just start by saying <laughs> i feel like i get very like psychiatristy and like counseling during q and cakes <laughs> you really but, do it's great <laughs> i'm feeling from i'm just kidding oh um so you asked about like followers and visibility on instagram and like whether you quote unquote miss the boat So let's just like clear the air real quick and go ahead and say like followers don't equal business. That's just not the reality. And I think we get really caught up in that of like, oh, we have to, you know, like hit 10K to have a like thriving creative business on Instagram. And that's not true. I know people that have had like tens of thousands of followers and struggled with business and sales a lot more than with people who maybe have a few hundred. Um, And part of that is just where you dedicate your time to. And this is a lesson that I've been learning as a creative um, that we get really caught up in like, oh, social media is like the way, but there's other steps you can take for marketing. Um, But that being said, like if you were to choose between like Instagram or Pinterest, I'm still learning a lot about Pinterest. But based on like what I'm learning and what I know, actually like my VA took a Pinterest course for me. And so she's going to kind of be applying those to our business. I wish I had spent more time with Pinterest because of the because of like the way it gets shared and the way that Pinterest is a search engine um, and that you can search for terms because like Cami, I know that you've had some of your like watercolor maps that have been shared a ton on there. Yeah, it's been awesome. And I'm like, why didn't I post up on there earlier? But it, it does just kind of work in the background for you. You know, I'm mm-hmm. getting a lot more referrals from it. But it, I mean, I penned those things like six months ago. So I'm just now starting to see 
like my ROI from that. So yeah. it is kind of like more of a slow burn. But I will say also, I don't feel like you missed the boat. I feel like the Instagram boat has not set sail yet. Like you can still hop on the boat. It's totally fine. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Instagram is my favorite social media platform, even more than Pinterest, because well, for me, I really enjoy being able to actually have a conversation. You know, you can actually talk to people on Instagram, like Pinterest, no one's like leaving comments back and forth and stuff. So I think that part is really important for me on my business, like show my personality and like have a conversation with a potential client or, you know, a customer and like share the stories and be on there doing goofy videos and whatever. So I still really love Instagram for that. But Pinterest, I do think it is where it's at if you're like trying to get more visual focus, um, more, you know, more referrals from like your images, like if you do amazing art, like I don't know what you do. But um, if you have like artwork, I think Pinterest is a great way to get started on that and products too, because they have shoppable pins. But I don't know a ton about Pinterest. But you know, who does know a ton about Pinterest is Carly of CZ Invitations. And she's going to be talking in the station or summit all about Pinterest strategies. And I cannot wait for that session too. Like I just can't wait for everybody's but that one's going to be fantastic. She already has um, a Pinterest um, guide available, like a PDF, I think. I bought it. I love it. it. Yeah. I'm about to buy it too. Cause I, I need it, but yeah, I definitely think it's just kind of where you, where you put your time and, you know, just pick one and go with it. You don't have to be on every single one. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I don't touch Twitter. I don't touch Snapchat. I like don't touch Facebook. Like I have a Facebook account, but don't do anything for my business. Well, I still do stuff on Facebook, actually. You do. And it gets really good traction. So I yeah. feel like that works really well it's for you. It's a different audience on Facebook than it is for Instagram. It's like, you know, all the old people are on Facebook now. <laughs> oh, I know. We You're are. Really. Like, <laughs> um, and also, like, I know this is going to sound like so nitpicky of me. But um, you had asked about like social media platforms specifically, and I have heard a lot lately, like Pinterest is not social media because it's a search engine. So just like keep that in mind, because like if you're looking to find a platform to like be social, quote unquote, like Cammy's right, like Instagram is where it's at. You get to interact with people, do stories and comment back and forth. And like Pinterest really is this like more of a almost extension of Google, right? Like people like go there to like literally search for something. Yeah. They use it the same way they use Google. So that's why it's so powerful. Man, I'm learning all this stuff about Pinterest, but I haven't done anything to like implement it. (laughs) So Pinterest, you know, you don't see the person behind the brand. You're just like, oh, that's a pretty thing. But like Instagram, maybe you fall in love with the person and then want them to do your, you know, custom house portrait or whatever. Versus Mm -hmm. Pinterest, you're starting with, you're putting your artwork first. Instagram, maybe you're putting your personality first. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's very true. So Instagram so, definitely has a little bit more of like a holistic approach with things because you are able to converse and talk back and forth. And Pinterest is just like, here's what I have. Buy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, I have to say, too, like Instagram has obviously done like a ton for Cami and I's business and the fact that like so we met on social media, like we met on Facebook um, <laughs> and then like have obviously connected a ton through Instagram and connected with others through Instagram. So Instagram has like helped us build Biz Birthday Bash a ton. Like I feel like in that way, like followers and visibility has paid off for us a lot because we're like talking to this specific audience that wants to learn more from us. But it's like really tricky with like um, followers who like follow Eliza and calligraphy, right? Because so many of them are creatives. They're not going to like buy stationary from me. Like I think that's been my biggest struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely have more 
other creatives follow you. And I feel like I have actual people following me. I mean, not that you're not people if you're a creative. <laughs> I just have a bunch of robots following me. Like, how do you feel? Um, it's, the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing with your mailing list, right? I, know, like, I don't understand. You said you're like, people aren't here for education on my mailing list. They're, they're here for my products. So you have to decipher, like, where are your people? Like, and, and, People for different things are like in different places. And, you know, I mean, what about like on YouTube with your audience there? I mean, it's probably other creatives, I'm sure. Yeah, because a lot of my YouTube was like DIY things, um, like how to do this, how to do that. Um, Not so much like client related. Okay. So basically... (laughs) <laughs> my my YouTube is basically kind of like sitting there dormant right now because last time I posted was April 2018. <laughs> so it's been more than a year. Um, but the thing is like YouTube is also kind of a search engine in itself. So when people find those videos, I actually have like a description on every video now that encourages people to sign up for my free email series. Um, and so then fun. I can nurture them that way. So I use it as more of like lead generation now and not so much like I'm not doing a lot to produce anything for that platform at this point yeah that makes sense because we're doing the station or summit and that is where all my time is devoted (laughs) (laughs) but yeah okay so simple answer to this question if i had to choose one social media platform i would choose instagram but that's just me (laughs) i feel like i missed out on pinterest so i feel like i okay but it's hard. It's so hard to say. You can only pick one. We're, this is like a life or death situation. You can only uh, pick one to move forward with for your business for the rest of your life. Which one would you pick? Well, I don't want everyone to hate me if I say mm-hmm. I would rather pick Pinterest. No, why would anyone hate you? I think that's fascinating. Because then they're like, oh, but you've made so many friendships and like you just want to throw yeah. it away. <laughs> thinking that you're crazy no one's thinking that I think because I understand because you know me I'm like very strategically minded so like knowing what I know now like if I had started out by picking like Pinterest I think it could have done more for my business in the long run except for biz birthday bash that's the problem okay I would pick Instagram for biz birthday bash and I would pick Pinterest for Lysian calligraphy there (laughs) thank you thank you (laughs) gee I would pick Instagram for both because I don't know because uh, yeah, Instagram, like, Instagram does share directly to Facebook so you kind of kill two birds with one stone there yeah exactly I just kind of switch up the days like I'll just go back and pick one and then share it that day so it's not the same content every day mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> but yeah okay I think we I don't know if we knocked it out of the park but we you know maybe hit a line drive on that one so okay that wraps up q and cake number seven if you guys have more questions that you want us to struggle with um you can just go to (laughs) businessbash.com slash q and cake and submit your question there yeah and you guys seriously ask like some of the best questions we have like quite the lineup of ones to answer (laughs) so i promise we like we can only do like five or so an episode um but we are so thankful that you guys do take the time to submit these and like trust us with asking these questions. Cause like we've said before, like we're still figuring out, we're not perfect. So we can like offer insight, but if you don't agree with what we say, just take it with a grain of salt, seriously, or just like, don't listen. It's fine. <laughs> totally fine. I This is always a fun episode because every other episode we both write a lot of notes and this one, we just put the questions. So we have no idea what we're going to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so many directions it's just kind of one of those up in the air keeping it loose keeping it real 
Well, I like it because it keeps it super honest too, because we literally just like answer with like what we think on the spot. The fly. Yeah. We don't have time to like research and look up anything. So yeah. Oh man, for real. Um, and the other thing too is if you are loving the Bizbash podcast, just take some time if you could um to go to Instagram. Wow, nope, not Instagram. Go to <laughs> iTunes to leave us a rating and a review. After all that Instagram talk, of course, I'm gonna get confused. So iTunes for leaving a rating and review. We would obviously love to hear from you and it helps other creatives find us. Yes, and thank you so much. We will see you next week. Bye. Don't be a jerky turkey. Are you ready to push the envelope in your stationary biz and finally get the answers you're looking for? We're bringing together industry leaders in one place with a virtual conference that anyone can attend. The Stationer Summit is an online game changer with session topics that are for stationers by stationers. And with 18 different educators, you can't afford to miss this. We've got the names you love. Swell Press, Design House Amora, Papel & Co, Design by Laney, and so many others. And you guys, they're here to bring you the answers you can't get anywhere else. It's time to break down the walls of the stationary industry and open the door for anyone and everyone. We believe there is room for all of us at the table and we're offering you a virtual seat. And of course, we'll be there too, talking about everyone's favorite topic, pricing. Here are the deets. Early bird registration takes place August 26th through 30th, and during this week, you can save $100 on your ticket. Official registration will open September 16th through 20th, and the full price is $397. Even at full price, this is an absolute steal. Get on the waiting list today at stationersummit.com.